Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to our show, Med Family. I'm Eric Acker, the host, with Karen Acker with us today. (laughs) Uh, So we took a week off because of the night shifts, and we're still on nights, but this is a weird day off, uh, transition day off. No, we're not really transitioning from anything. We're just transitioning into trying to be more alive in, during the daytime and, and not get too far out of it <laughs> so that I can't go back in the next day. So, Yeah, it's, it's rough, the, <laughs> the one day off a week, because typically that's our family day, but at the same time, like Eric can't really completely switch off of the night's schedule within one day. So, yeah, like he tries to wake up a little bit earlier and then hang out and then stay up a little bit, stay up late, yeah, but not well, all get, night. Let's get, I guess we can get it. I, we left off, I think, week of Thanksgiving. We finished clinic yeah. week, which really wasn't much of anything. We had Thanksgiving. We went to visit Karen's friend, which was good. Actually, uh, went, I think, surprisingly better than I expected it to go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> had a nice four-day weekend, I think. Yeah. And... Uh, we started nights, um, ended up doing like, I think two days, two, three days on and then one day off and then a few days on and then, yeah. So it's been, it's been interesting. Uh, so if we can start with what we were just talking about mm-hmm. is the, uh, the logistics of it, at least as far as like, well, it's 12 hours, it's 6.30 to 6.30, so 6.30 a.m. to 6.30 um, a.m. 6.30 p.m. P.m., thank 6:30 you. 6.30 a.m. <laughs> Brain doesn't work. <laughs> um, yeah, so 6.30 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. And then, so that's a 12-hour shift. And then you kind of try to put in six to eight hours of sleep on top of that. So that puts you closer to like eight hours, puts you close to 20, 20 hours. So you gives you about four hours plus you know, maybe the hour of travel time. Doing, you know, it takes about 20 to 30 minutes to get to the hospital. So each way. So that's about an hour. And <laughs> so you're, you're looking at maybe about three hours of time that is either like showering and getting ready for the day or trying to spend time with people. Uh, and that's essentially what it is. Uh, that's how the shift goes. We, I get up um, sometime around 2, 3 o'clock p.m. And then hang out with family, try to get dressed, have a di- quick dinner breakfast i'm not sure what you would call it but yeah. <laughs> we have something to eat <laughs> i go to i go to work um carry out the shift i come home i bring karen coffee and then i go straight to sleep uh, generally speaking there's been a couple weird um deviations from that course of you know that that didn't involve days off but essentially yeah that's uh that's it you get some sleep wake up repeat and that's that's how the night goes. And then of course Karen has the kids all day and um, during the night. <laughs> so uh, I she is uh, definitely going to towards the single mother situation here. I, I'm sure that cannot be easy for you. No, no. But I mean, we're we're working through it. It's is a two week segment, and I have to say I 
I, I do feel a little blessed just kind of talking with some of the other um, Trinity wives. <laughs> so like the, the Wyoming program, they do six weeks of nights and it's one block. So six weeks straight. Six weeks straight. And like Eric has two blocks of two weeks. Some people, some people in my cohort will do a month, like a full four weeks. So yeah. It, yeah. It's not always broken up in two weeks. No, but um, like with with the Wyoming program, it, the the schedule that this resident has is six weeks of nights, and he works uh, Monday through Thursday nights, and then he gets the weekend off. But um, that sounds nice. Well, but if you think about it, you have like one day to kind of transition. Then one day to be with the family, and then one day to transition again. But is that really worse? Or it sounds to me better than you get one day off. Okay, great. I go home, sleep, I wake up uh, at again noon, <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, I'll try to do stuff today, but like you didn't really get a lot of sleep, so you're still tired. But you don't really want to go to bed at like nine, ten o'clock at night because. Then your sleep cycle is going to be all messed up. You would have gotten yourself a full eight hours of sleep, and you're up for most of the rest of the next day. And then at six thirty, you're rolling into work, putting in a twelve-hour shift, and you, that's going to be like over eighteen hours. It's possible. It's doable. Uh, obviously, with caffeine, anything is possible. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it just makes it feel weird. So when you transition off, it's like, how much of the night do I stay up and? And that's just one day off. Like, you, you can't really transition off of it. And so you're you're in this weird limbo of not trying to transition completely off of it, but still be present during the day, be somewhat of a semblant human. I don't know. I feel like having a weekend off is actually not terrible. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see how it goes when they go through it. Um, it'll be interesting to see, because he hasn't actually started that yet. He's currently on emergency medicine, um, but that is in his schedule. I think part of what makes that untenable un, uh, is that um, the Wyoming program also does not have a, um, I think it's, is it PEDS? I don't Rota know. I don't know, but he, he will also... Oh, you mentioned the PEDS rotation that's like oh, in, in Salt Boise Lake. or something. Yeah, Salt Lake. Okay. Salt Lake, yeah, so... He will have the six weeks of nights, and then he will be gone for <coughs> for the um sorry for the beads rotation. Beads rotation in Salt Lake, so it's like back to back, uh, not great um family time rotation. The <laughs> away, um, yeah. So um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to talk to her when they're going through that and see what her time with her spouse is. Um, I will say this rotation has been a little rough, but it also, to be fair, like we got hit with the kids being sick for like four weeks and then Eric and I got sick and then Eric brought home pink eye from <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, Alle allegedly, you got it first <laughs> from the ED. And so, um, I'm not even sure who I got it from to be completely honest, which is sad. Yeah. But, uh. Yeah, so Eric got pink eye, and then I got pink eye. Uh, so um, a lot of 
not so great sleep and grumpy individuals. And then um, Evie got her last uh, molar. So um, I don't know. I it is it is it has been interesting because I think Eric kind of does get a little bit of a. Uh, look into how much I am up at night. <laughs> she'll we... text me at, at, when she wakes up to take care of a kid. Usually during the night, she just lets me sleep, and I sleep through just about everything, just about everything. Yeah. So I don't always know that she's been up three times in the night unless I wake up and I'm like, oh, where's she at? Oh, and she's out on the couch um, with one of the kids that woke up. But no, this is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Eric's like, why are you up? Go back to bed. It's just like, well, there's one kid up and there's two kids <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, like when you're working and it's like midnight, thir- you know, 1230, you're like, I'm halfway through my shift and this person's still awake. Like, I'm going to get home and I'm going to go to sleep. Like, this person, need- like, Karen needs to go to sleep. Uh, <laughs> it's hard. It's great. It's so- somewhat great if, like, if I want to text somebody on the West Coast because, like, when I go in at like midnight, it's still like nine thirty their time. So like, we're doing pretty good if we if I want to communicate with anyone back on the West Coast. But um, it's just a weird it's a weird shift. So let me get, I guess get into the logistics of the shift because that's um, I guess a little bit more applicable to the medicine side of yeah. aspect of things. So um, generally speaking, how we ro- do this rotation, obviously the residents we have three floor three floors. We have three south. And uh, two south, and then we also have eight south. Uh, two and three south are broken up into parts A and B. So two south A, two south B, and same with three. Eight south residents only take care of half of that floor. There's the other half that's taken care of by a different um, provider group or hospitalist group that's a non-resident uh, entity. And so then as far as residents go on the best of days, quote unquote, there is a resident covering two South A, two South B, and same with three South A and B, and then eight. Um, so we have one, two, three, four, five. So on, on good nights, we'll have five residents. Everyone's covering a floor. And then um, on the more short-staffed nights, it will be one resident covering all of two South A, all of two south, well, another resident covering all two south B. Oh, sorry, two, three south. So one on two south, one on three south, and one on eight south. So, yeah, and you have residents for rapids as well. Yeah, so usually the senior resident, oftentimes one of the senior residents is scheduled to do rapid responses. So anytime anywhere in the hospital is a rapid response, that resident needs to respond to it. So that's um, kind of the structure of it. Um, get there at 6.30. You print your list, you go find the short call person for that team. So the day team will have somebody who is basically working um, and covering that floor from basically 4.30 till 6.30, so two hours. They are covering the floor by themselves. And then you will get sign out from them. And generally, uh, a lot of people do sign out very differently. There's like the I-pass method, which I think is pretty good. Um, sometimes it doesn't really happen. It's... It's hit and miss, but I think essentially what I like in my sign-outs from from the team is what is the patient here for, what are they being treated for, anything I need to do during the night, anything I need to know about during the night. Like, (laughs) is 
Has this patient had issues? Is this patient on oxygen? Is this patient going to desaturate? Has this patient had a rapid? You know, <laughs> what kind of surgeries are you planning? Is the patient going to go into surgery tomorrow? So we need to be NPO. Like certain things you need to know. Um, and then of course there's other things like, hey, this patient's like 85 years old and they have dementia and they sundown. Okay, that's good to know. Do you have CWA protocol, which is basically the protocol um, for patients who get agitated, whether that's from benzo withdrawals, opiate withdrawals, et cetera. So the CWA protocol for a lot of different things. And, uh, and maybe I'm using that term a little too generally or loosely, but that's essentially what we ask. And then, of course, if I get certain things like, oh, this patient's got AFib, and you kind of glance at the heart rate, and it's like, oh, it's 170. Have we, uh, have we dealt with that? <laughs> kind of prodding the day team to help. Because generally speaking, the night shift is really not there to progress treatment or come up with a treatment plan. They're really, we're really just there to continue the plan of the day team. Um, if the day team is trying to do something with a patient, it's our job to try to, try to help carry that out. Uh, so like a case in point, we had a patient who was admitted um, for, I think they called it hyper, um, stroke-like symptoms. Uh, the patient's blood pressure was like in the 230s to 50s, hypertensive emergency. They had like nausea, vomiting, dizziness, lightheadedness. Uh, didn't sound like any focal, uh, unilateral focal neurological deficits besides just the headache and the dizziness. So... Initially, like my read of it was like, this sounds a little bit more like a hypertensive emergency situation, not necessarily a stroke, but the team plan was to treat this like a stroke. So permissive hypertension, the CT scan did not show uh, intracranial bleeding. So we went with a, a permissive hypertensive management strategy, which is essentially within 24 hours we're just trying to keep the blood pressure below i think like 220 and then after that it's like 180 and then 160 it keeps going down um so it, it's a little tricky when you you think it might be a hypertensive emergency and then the nurses are like why what are we doing about the blood pressure and it's like it's fine <laughs> it's fine according to the plan we don't need to do anything about it so um and the rationale behind that um it's i think there's not I was reading one of the resources that said there's not exactly a lot of great evidence regarding the blood pressure uh, control post-stroke, like that it actually provides much benefit. But essentially the theory is, is that after a stroke, your brain, which does regulate a lot of blood pressure and definitely directs a lot of blood flow to itself, it if it suffered an injury, especially an injury that deprived it of oxygen, it is going to increase blood pressure to increase oxygen supply to itself. It's a, it's a compensative response. So it's something that your brain just kind of does <laughs> to keep itself alive. And the idea is, is we probably should not be fighting that very much. Like we certainly don't want it to be in the 250s and over 220 because we start having other issues that, you know, we could have lunar stroke. Uh, lacunar strokes and other things like that. Other issues can start happening when you have really high systolic blood pressures um, and diastolic blood pressures too, I'm sure. But the general idea is that your brain is doing this to keep protect itself, so don't fight your brain too much. Uh, and if you push the blood pressure down quickly, you could be 
depriving your brain of the oxygen or you know what it needs what it's trying to get in order to fix itself or recover so that's the general theory behind i think it's the very broad strokes theory behind the permissive hypertension behind the stroke but anyway we had a patient um that i think on our our nighttime look at the patient we hadn't actually seen the patient ourselves we just we got sign out for it and we thought mm, this might be hypertensive emergency but the day team's plan is to do this stroke workup turned out it was a stroke so you know it they were right <laughs> and it, we were right to follow their plan um so that's essentially i so sorry when we're getting sign out we want to know what the plan is so that we know how to work on the patient so sometimes we have sickle cell crisis patients and the daytime plan is to get this patient on a regimen that works and they don't need us switching them like let's say they put the daytime people put this patient on pca and which is basically automatically delivering opiates at set rates during set times if the patient pushes a button they don't need us disconnecting that and then doing a prn <laughs> injecting injection because yeah, a lot of people with sickle cells tend to prefer the prn every four hours come in and get my dilaudid um so our job at nighttime is not to really drastically change the daytime's plan unless it really calls for it there was i think one situation where i felt like it called for it um, i did run it by my seniors because when you start making decisions that go against the other team's plan you gotta I feel like you do need to, even if it makes sense to you and you feel like you have a well-reasoned argument, you need someone else to listen to it and say, yeah, that's a well-reasoned argument. Go ahead. I'm, I'm just an intern. So in this particular case, we had this patient, osteomyelitis of the spine, uh, no afebrile, no infectious source besides the osteomyelitis that came up on the MRI. So... My sign out was basically the guy. If this guy gets a fever, start him on Vink and Cefepine. <laughs> that was the broad spectrum plan. Uh, cultures were still pending, and so they were like, "Hey, if this guy gets a fever, this is what we're doing." And well, during the night, a preliminary result came back for like gram-negative bacilli in the blood, which is kind of weird. Uh, it's not not normal. I, I would say probably not normal that I have seen. Um, and the guy did have like a UTI a few weeks before um, that was treated with cephasporins. So vancomycin is not going to cover um, my gram negative. It's probably not very good for that. It's probably, it's better for, it's better for MRSA. Um, the cefepine would cover it, but my thought process was, and this was prompted by, I can't take total, all credit from another resident I was working with, I was talking out loud, and he was like, well, they were treated with a cephalosporin, not cefepine, which is, I think, a fourth-generation cephalosporin. They were treated with, like, ceftriaxin, which is a third-generation. But he's like, they were already treated with a third-generation cephalosporin, and if you give them another cephalosporin, that, that could work, but it's a, it's a possibility that this patient's E. coli infection is causing this bacteremia, and in which case you don't really want to just keep going on down the same family, the class of the class of uh, antibiotics. So his recommendation was uh, 
zolcin, which is like a piposillin tazobactin, I think, combination. It's a very popular one. <laughs> it's very broad spectrum. It definitely covers RAM negatives. Um, so that's what we went with. I confirmed it with my seniors to make sure the plan made sense, and I pitched it to the team. Uh, I think the next day when I signed up the patient to me again, uh, they had added Vanco just because they weren't really sure about the the <laughs> the the blood culture. So in either case, um, you're getting signed up from the night the, the day team to get an idea of what you're doing and you're trying to carry out the plans as as things can come up because the hospital does run twenty four seven. So um, like if patients get studies done, they would you need to know that the studies are being done. So you. If things come back positive or a certain way, you need to know which therapies to re-add. Um, so that's kind of the, the general initial bit. Uh, other things you, you so I guess I'll, I'll sh shift to like after you get signed out. So initially, when I first started nights, uh, after I got signed out, I just went back to the room with all the other residents that were working the night, and I would just kind of glance over the chart of some of these patients to get a little bit more familiar with what these patients are, what they're here for, because you don't really know what you're, what kind of calls you're going to get during the night. Uh, a different resident uh, in passing, I asked him what he, why he basically disappeared for so long right after the sign out. And he basically said he kind of would get sign out and try to identify patients who were concerning or ones that he thought might have issues. And then he would go immediately and go see them. Uh, and I think that actually makes a lot of sense. So, like, some of the patients would be ones that are on oxygen. So get a good look at the patient who's, they just started BiPAP, or they did, they started some sort of O2 therapy because they're having respiratory failure. Well, this patient, they could they could desaturate and it could be worse, and you kind of need to know where they were at when they first came on the shift. Because a lot of times it's like, I saw the patient, and you can read about what the progress note and how the progress note kind of, pictures the patient for you but there's a lot of progress notes that are copy and pasted and a lot of times uh, in the progress notes they don't do a lot of time describing patients <laughs> condition always very well and another class of patients to kind of keep an eye out for the altered mental patients the patients who came in with strokes or the ones that have dementia um, they're not at what would be yours or my baseline mentation like they they don't know where they're at or they get easily confused so it's good to know where they were at when you came on because a lot it's just like the when you're coming on at night there's going to be nurses coming on at night and the nurses also are not going to be familiar with these patients as well so they're getting their sign out and so sometimes you'll have a nurse that will message you and be like the patient's altered and this and this and this is all different and and so now you're like, oh my gosh, did this patient have a stroke? <laughs> and you're, you're starting to get really uh, concerned and you might have to start going down a whole bunch of different routes. But like if you've seen the patient, you've evaluated them, when the nurse comes and says there's something wrong, you can go back and you can see the patient and it's like, oh, they're, they're exactly how they were when I saw them earlier. You don't need to start putting in CT orders and a whole bunch of other stuff. You can just, okay. Let's let's do this. Like we did, we did, we had one. Uh, I think on my first night, and I am very thankful for uh, my co-resident Tark. But it was a patient that wasn't really mine. It was a shared patient, I think. But essentially, the 
this patient was going to go get an MRI. It was like a, a stroke patient or a possible stroke. And the nurse was like, oh, the patient has left-sided facial droop. And we, we looked through the chart. I'm like, there's nothing in the chart that says anything about the face. If anything, they say that the face is just fine. And so we go down and check out on the patient. And this is also the, the thing of like, don't just order things sometimes. Sometimes just go and look at the patient. There was no facial droop. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what... I, nurses do a lot of really good things and they, they really save our butts a lot of times. But sometimes they can they can be a little bit of a chicken little. And because <laughs> <laughs> that was very frustrating because you come and you go, we go look at the patient and I'm expecting to see you know, a facial droop, and they're like, oh, she's slurring her words, and she's got this facial droop, it's like, okay, and we look at it, it's like, she's got good strength in her face, there's no obvious droop, and she just has a little bit of an affect, it's not really a slurred speech, and again, we don't really know her from the day before, so it's like, eh, it's a speech, she was fine, and then we went, sent her on her way to get an MRI, which is fine. Which is what she was going to get. She was going to get the MRI. It, it, that wasn't a new thing that we had add on. So, and then of course the patient came back, and the nurse was like, "It still has the facial droop." And I was like, "No, she doesn't." But that we didn't say that. Which is like, okay, thanks. Um, that's not. I mean, again, that's that's just, just the thing. Like, the nurses are also seeing these patients for the first time often at night, and so you have to kind of know who your sick patients are what they what they came in, what the baseline is. And so that's kind of your first couple, one to two hours when you first start, is you're getting your sign out, you're checking on your, your sicker patients, and you might be going and chart checking a little bit to get more familiar with the ones you can you think are going to be a problem. Uh, and then I only have about a weekend, so I, I don't want to be too arrogant here. Um, I would say like the... The first part of the night, so from the 6.30, so after, let's say, 8, 8 o'clock, um, you did the first hour and a half, you've rounded on the patients, you've chart-checked, you've gotten your sign-out, now you're sitting back in the office. Really, the first, the next, from 8 o'clock to noon, midnight, you're going to get no notes from the nurses about <laughs> blood pressure checks, <coughs> uh, patients trying to sleep, needing sleeping medications, pain control, um, so a lot of kind of generic, because these are patients, you know, they've been maybe sitting in the hospital for a long time, or this is like their first night, so we're still trying to figure out everything, or maybe they were just admitted, and the admitting team didn't put on PRN stuff, so you're trying to figure out what's going on with some of these patients, what's, how can we make it them comfortable and settle in for the night. Um, the trick is to avoid the snow out. Because you, you're going to have dement. I, I have so far, knock on wood, have not had very many demented patients that are very disoriented and getting out of bed and causing issues. Um, but some people do, and nurses will want those patients um, not sedated, but like maybe a little bit of Ativan, which apparently we're on back order for Ativan, which oh. <laughs> so we're using other things like Valium and uh, Atarax and. <laughs> so we're using a whole bunch of other it stuff. It seems like over the last few years there have been like random shortages of things. Like when I when I was last pregnant, like the Pitocin. A, yeah, Pitocin was like, on back water. Yeah, or... we're not gonna do and I actually they actually did give me two bags of Pitocin, which um just for bleeding issues, but um 
normally they would have been like, you get one bag and that's it. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting how things kind of work where it's like, if you really need it, but otherwise, no. Yeah. And so that's essentially like, I would say like midnight one, that's essentially what you're dealing with is just trying to get these patients to sleep. Um, trying not to snow out your patients because there is a temptation to just let them have the Valium, let them have all the Ativan. But the problem with that is, is that like it's not always great for older people and then it's, it can make sometimes some of those conditions worse. And it can also create a problem where in the morning, when the morning crew tries to do their morning rounds, the patient's still like out. <laughs> and so the morning people can't figure out where this patient's at in the treatment plan because they can't participate because you just knocked them out. So um, you got to be judicious about it. Uh, you you don't want to make people's lives miserable because that will make your life miserable. You don't want to hurt your patients, but you, you you don't want them to be up all night. So there's a there's a delicate balance as far as that's concerned. So the other function we do and this is throughout the night is that we do have an attending that's over all of us and that attending is basically gets admissions from the ed or transfers into the hospital and so during the course of the night our, our attendings send basically a hey this patient's here for an admission they send it to the se- one of the senior residents and that senior resident will distribute the patients uh, to each of us kind of in order. So I, I generally have gotten probably about two admissions a night, sometimes up to three, I think. Um, so that, that's really not terrible. Um, the three, three can be a little hard uh, because you, you start getting those admissions. And this is like kind of the ED thing. Like you can get them like anytime, obviously, but the ED has this, like you get these shift changes where these patients come in and they're obviously discharging patients out of the ED as they need to. But the ones that they're like, hmm, this one might need to stay, they're doing workups on. They're kind of looking at the patient, doing labs, assessing, trying to see if they're going to get any better. And then, then they decide to go ahead and put them up for discharge or for admission. That generally happens close to when the ED has the overlap shift change. So we've mentioned about how you do a 10 hour shift and every like at about hour eight, the next crew comes in and they cover the next block of, you know, from that point on. And so during that two hour overlap, that's where a lot of the admissions come in. And so it's like predictably um, pretty close to like seven, we, you know, a bunch of admissions come through. And then again, close to 10 to 12 admissions come in. And then again, you can get some close to six, which is unfortunate because like we're getting ready to leave. We don't really want to get to the mission. And I've got, I got one, I think at five, five thirty. I think it was five thirty last night. And then, uh, then to my co-residence, Jonathan, he got one at like five forty-five. <laughs> so, uh, it's a bit of a bummer. <laughs> Um, depends on your attending. There's one attending that we have that will not give us admissions after 5 a.m. I think his general rule of thumb is like, I can take over admissions at that point because they, they think they have to do 12 hours. They have to do like a seven to seven or something like that. So I think his general rule of thumb is you guys, you guys need to get ready to do your sign outs. So, and finish all your history and physicals uh, on the patients that you did admit. So from five to six thirty. 
you do all that. <laughs> so I do like that mentality, but not every attending has that mentality. So you, you're doing that. So and the admissions are essentially just what we did on admit team. You get an admission, you go down to the ED, you see the patient, you assess them, you try to figure out what's going on with them. Sometimes the ED has basically just handed you the diagnosis, and that's wonderful. Uh, and sometimes you have to kind of figure it out yourself. Uh, like so, case in point, two cases in point. Um, one patient I got the other day was the ED was like, "Hey, this patient's got a history of MS. They're having bilateral neurological deficits that happened about two weeks ago. They have a stressor event." Well, they have a chronic stressor, but like, here you go, MS flare. <laughs> it's like, well, that makes a lot of sense. And MS flare makes a whole lot more sense than anything else I can think of. We're going to go take that and run with it. Do you guys treat with steroids? Yeah, steroids. Yeah. Um, I think Dynamed is one of the resources we use. We Our hospital got rid of up-to-date, take that or leave it. Uh, but Dynamed says, I think it's, uh, methylprednisolone, uh, 500 milligrams for uh, every 24 hours for five days. Uh, or you can do one gram, so uh, 1,000 milligrams uh, for five, three to five days. Um, and you can go longer if the patient's symptoms haven't really improved. Uh, so that's essentially how you deal with the flare. Um, yeah. Well, I, I used to have a, a gal that I house at four and Washington had MS. And when she would have flare-ups, I know she went, she went to several different hospitals in our area um, for different things. But I, I know for a while there, she had one, one doctor that she's like, I would tell them what I would need and what usually <laughs> helps. And they'd be like, that's not the protocol. <laughs> and she's like, but this is, this is what works for me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's tough. It is it, tough. It's like my medical judgment says otherwise, <laughs> but as opposed to this patient who's living with it and how good is, uh, yeah, how good is this patient? Yeah. And sometimes you, you have patients like, hey, so this has been a, yeah. a, conversa- a point of conversation we've had between residents where what, um, like a headache, for example, how to treat a headache. Now, there actually are opinions, for sure, um, on Dynamed and up-to-date of how you treat acute headaches that are you know, non-stroke, non, <laughs> non-migraine, even migraines. Um, but was one resident like, oh, I have this patient that her headache can only be treated with opiates. And it's just like, that's just wild to me because like uh, opiates and headaches generally are not, not a thing to do. Every time I've listened to a seminar on headaches, that's like barbiturates and opiates are like the last line of defense. And then, but unfortunately, I've seen in the ED we do like Furacet, which has like I think it's caffeine, Tylenol, and uh, barbiturate. It's, a, it's like a triple combo, mm-hmm. and it seems to work for. I don't. I actually I don't know. I, I've given it to a few patients because that's what my attending told me to do, and I haven't been exactly impressed. <laughs> Um, but it's like, it is a go-to thing in the ED. Uh, maybe they think it, it creates a, qu- a quicker effect. Uh, I tend to, in the Houston ED, there was an, a, a few t- attendings that, uh, I think it's metoclopamide, uh, which is like Regulin, uh, IV fluids and aspirin or NSAIDs. That was kind of the, or you can phone Tylenol, you know, <laughs> those are the cocktails that you would reach for. And that ten- tended to work often, more often than you would think. Um, so I like to kind of go that direction when I'm, wow, all of our smoke detectors are going out. This is not 
Interesting. It's very weird. Uh, hopefully, we don't hear that again. Uh, <laughs> we, I didn't we, know there was one in here. Yeah, there's like there are. Th- sorry, this is a huge, huge deviation. We have <laughs> we have three smoke detectors within, I would say, a five, five by five yeah. cube. Like there's one in this room. And then there's one in our room, which is on the other side of the hallway. And, there's and then there's one, in the, one in the hallway, which is just like, you know, three feet from this one. So, like, if there's a fire in this side of the house, we are covered. Um. <laughs> there's not one by the kitchen, though. There's no, none in the kitchen. <laughs> there's none in the main room. I, I would have to go up in the kids' room to see if there's one up there. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's a deviation there. <laughs> um, sorry. So, like, that. W- so the MS is an example of an EDB handing you a diagnosis on a silver platter. I did get another patient came in, and it was basically complaint was generalized weakness, which is like you get that and you're like, ah, that's uh, in a seventy year old individual generalized weakness, fantastic. Like that could be <laughs> anything. Um, but you go, you they did the workup. They did a pretty solid workup. They just didn't give me a diagnosis. But you get this patient coming in hypoglycemic. I think blood sugars were like 34 when EMS showed up. They gave him D10. It shot up to like 400. And then you see this like anion gap. You see this low bicarb, which is basically the bicarbonate's being eaten up by the acidosis. You see a lactic acid of 7.3. You, you get this very weird clinical picture i mean initial gut reaction would be like oh man 400 glucose anion gap in a positive acetone lab and ketones in your in your urine and a negative um, ethanol we're looking at diabetic ketoacidosis but like the patient's not diabetic like recently had a1c not diabetic <laughs> so and then you know taking a little few minutes to think about it it's like oh this is starvation ketoacidosis this is a, a diabetic ketoacid this is starvation ketoacidosis and that's where the history taking becomes a a key tool that you should use as a doctor despite what one of my general surgeons uh, in third year told me that history taking and talking to patients is really low yield uh, <laughs> um you actually can get a lot from the patient. So when I talked to this patient, he hadn't eaten in like two days. He's homeless. He eats like one meal a day. So initially when I asked him, like, what do you eat? What, you know, how often do you eat? He's like, oh, I eat like one to two meals a day. And like I'm looking at him, he looks like a skeleton. I'm like, mm, what do you eat for these meals? And he's like, oh, I had a White Castle burger. I had a couple of White Castle burgers. I'm like, okay, that, that can give you a lot of calories, I suppose. I was like, well, when was that? When was the last time? Oh, it was Friday. I was like, okay, that was a few days ago. Like, <laughs> that's, uh, okay, it's been a couple of days. So that's, because like, sometimes you have to kind of work on patients a little bit. They, I think some patients don't want to let on how bad off they are. Um, in any case, so we found out, like, oh, starvation, ketoacidosis, got it. Treatment, um, he was able to eat and drink, uh, so... I just put him on fluids. I mean, that was the easiest treatment plan I've had. There's a few other chronic things I was managing, so that, but really just fluids. <laughs> really, really straightforward. But like basically the morning he was like the lactic acid was like two and anion gap had almost closed. So it was a pretty good anyway. Uh that that's a beside the point. But essentially that's what the you get from the E D on these admits is you kinda get a little bit of mixed bag of stuff and you figure it out, you put in your admit orders you set the patient on a whole bunch of stuff and you go write your history and physical 
and you just follow that patient to the morning. Um, there is a kind of a tightly debated or a frustration uh, that can occur overnight, and that is basically other floors can drop patients onto your floor and they will not sign out to you. That is a frustration. That is a complaint for sure. But and to be fair, oftentimes because they do that to us, we do that to them. Um, so for example, like if I admit a patient and they go to like the one North unit, which is kind of our observation unit, there's, there's not a resident, I don't, think, I don't think there's residents that run that unit. Maybe, maybe Shrey Hack does, I'm not sure. But we don't sign out to anyone there. We just update the handoff, which is a different form within Epic. We update it, and that's it. We, as long as our history and physical and orders are in there and handoff is written out, that's all we have to do. And, and I've talked to the PAs and NPs that have worked down there, and they said they just update the handoff, don't do anything else. Now... Like when, when a patient is coming from a floor and they've had a rapid response called them on them within the last 48 hours and they just drop on your floor and the nurse is like, hey, how are we going to do this? And it's just like, what? Who's this patient? I didn't get signed up for this, but they're on your floor, so they are now yours. Um, so that's, I think on my first day, I had a patient that was basically, I think, got admitted for DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis was being started treatment in the ED, got transferred up to the step-down unit. The anion gap closed very quickly in the step-down unit, and it was a non-resident side of the step-down unit, and that doctor downgraded the patient almost right away. They transitioned the patient off of the insulin infusion and onto the sub-Q insulin, you know, as per, per the protocols, and they ended up on my floor. <laughs> so I have this patient who's like transitioning off at night uh, off of insulin infusion, which, yeah, okay. Because uh, you're supposed to feed the patients. And at nighttime when insulin and glucose monitoring is a little bit different. And like this patient's anion gap kept kind of like going wider <laughs> during the night, like, Two hours in, I was like, that's going wider. It was opening up the anion gap again. So I had to start doing this. Okay, we're going to start doing sub-Q insulin during the night because now they're on you know a different floor, an acute floor that doesn't do insulin infusion. So I'm not going to put them back on an insulin infusion. I'm not sending them back to 8-South. So we managed that patient overnight on sub-Q insulin. They're not eating, so you just have to be careful not to drop them too quickly. But you can fix hypoglycemia with sugar, <laughs> D10, D50s, you know, you, you can fix hyperglycemia. Um, but anyway, that, that is a, a frustration that can happen throughout the night. Uh, I don't know all the internal politics of this hospital, and obviously every hospital is going to have their own internal politic um, where there are certain floors that do certain things, and then when a patient doesn't really fit that floor's profile. They might get booted from that floor to another. And there's other, there's a whole bunch of floors, like our floors, three and two, can do a lot of the same things all the other floors can do. So like if you're on four, I think, with basically the same level of acuity, you can do everything that we do on two and three that you can do on four and five. <laughs> so moving patients around the hospital has happened. I don't know, again, I, would, I don't want to, overstep and say it's completely inappropriate but there are definitely times when it's 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 a curious change of plan 
that this patient's been on the floor for weeks. They had a rapid response. And then the next day, the doctor is like, down, uh, move them, transfer them to a different floor. <laughs> it's just like, well, thanks. Right? We appreciate it. Right? We appreciate the stage four lung cancer patient that's having respiratory distress that you moved them off of your floor and onto ours for us to deal with. Like, wonderful. <laughs> uh, um, but that's also very, like, a tangent here. That's a... A pro and a con, I guess that goes if you're uh, if you're a medical student looking at hospitals, you you see different uh, flavors of how hospitals do uh, floor assignments. So um, in Northeast Georgia, when I did my sub I there, we didn't have a resident floor. There wasn't resident floors. There were resident teams, and the teams just were assigned a group of patients, and those patients could be everywhere. So you were on one side of the hospital and you, had a, you could have a patient on the complete opposite side of the hospital. That's just how it went. You could have one on step down. You could have one in the, one in the acute. You could have one in observations. Like, that's just how it went. Uh, and it was all the same team. And, it wasn't, and all the teams had that kind of mix. So there wasn't like all the resident teams. There wasn't a step down team. There wasn't an acute floor team. You know, it, like our, our hospital is very much, we have two south. Three South, Eight South. Those are resident floors. Residents basically run those floors. And all the other floors, all the valleys, um, we have like two, three, four valley. We have, uh, of course, the other half of Eight South, and we have like, all the, the north beds, and then the four, five South tower beds. Uh, those are all non-resident beds. So, sorry, the, my whole point with this is like there's pros and cons. So... In this particular setup, one con you could make a case is, is that if a physician wants to kind of move off a more problematic patient to a different team, like it doesn't require a step down, it doesn't require ICU, and they just don't, they think maybe they, this patient would be better served on a different floor or a different team. In our model, it's that is, that is an easier thing to accomplish. You could basically shove patients onto resident floors and the residents can't do anything about it. In the model from Northeast Georgia, that's not to say that that can't happen, but it would be harder to transfer a patient out of your unit to somebody else because, well, you probably have patients all over the hospital too. So if you're moving a patient from one unit to another, uh, the hospital might be like, yeah, great, we'll do that, but it's still your patient because you go everywhere. <laughs> so you can't really get rid of your patients that way. Yeah, and then I felt like in Northeast Georgia, um, you your attending would purpose he, he, he would they would be the, they he, would be more likely to ditch patients. Instead of the other way around, yeah, where yeah. they'd be like, "Oh, you're not learning much. This patient's pretty stable. We're gonna, we're gonna, yeah, pass so, off this patient and get somebody else." And that's that's a similar that's a very similar thing that's happening. Like, so a patient with um, having issues gets moved to our floor, a resident floor, for us to deal with those issues. Um, in Northeast Georgia, you did have something similar to that 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 could happen, but the difference there was. In order to transfer a patient off of a resident team to a different hospitalist, that hospitalist had to accept your patient. So there actually had to be a collaboration and a coordination <laughs> that went into it where 
the one taking the patient would say, yes, I will gladly take that patient. And of course, they would make the pitch where, like Karen was just saying, where, hey, this patient is, is social. We are waiting for an admission into a sniff or we're working on, you know, the care coordinators are working on this patient. There's, there's really nothing medically we're doing for this patient. So it's better for, the pa- or for our residents' education that they continue to see acute patients and keep moving that direction and not have to sit on a patient floor. Because, like, there are patients in our hospital, sometimes on our floors, that have been there for over 300 days. We are not doing anything medically with them. They are just waiting for placement. And there's a lot of problems with placement. Um, So as an example, you could have a patient that needs a skilled facility, family members not able to take care of them. However, they are violent or they have hit nursing staff. Those and so the they, once they go into the hospital, a lot of times those facilities will say, well, we're not taking the patient back. They have assaulted one of our, one of our uh, employees, so we're not taking them back. And so when that's kind of on the patient, it's harder and harder to place those patients into facilities. And the hospital can't discharge these patients safely because they have nowhere to go. They have no safe discharge plan. And so they stay in the hospital for a very long time. So you can imagine if you are seeing a patient for you, you have a four week shift and you only take, you take seven, eight patients a day. Well, if one of your patients has been there for 300 days and there's really nothing going on, you're not going to learn a whole lot with that patient. Um, so I, there's definitely an advantage to like when this patient becomes a social thing, get them off your floor <laughs> like get into a floor that that's kind of more of their thing and get a new acute patient where you can learn learn how to practice medicine that's essentially you know that's the educational component sorry uh so that's a pitfall during the nights uh these transfers where we get kind of lack of handoff uh it's definitely i think a a, a area of opportunity for the facility um definitely the facility pushes uh, an I-pass mentality of handoffs and whatnot. I just think that it hasn't to- the culture hasn't really been totally embraced by everybody. So it's just a yeah, that's just a pitfall. Um, and I would say so. I, I I kind of divided the night up a few different ways. So from like one o'clock. So again, from eight eight to one. That's just getting patients to sleep. From one beyond. It, there's going to be the emergent stuff, like the desaturations, maybe the patient uh, OSA uh, desaturates, uh, the, deal with that. Most of that, from that point on, I don't generally get a whole lot of anything from the nurses. So <laughs> you're really just like you're handling your admissions. And I'll be honest, we watched a lot of movies. Um, oh, you're not studying? I've, I've, well, so I do. <laughs> I know you're tired, but I do. But it's also very hard to like sit there. The TV's on in the background, and you're trying to look at a U world question and be like, "How do I answer this?" And people are listening to the music, and it's just it's not always the most conducive to study. Um, I probably should just move to a different room, um, but yeah, and of course, like when you're hitting like three a three a.m. in the morning, and you're just like, "I am getting through this." <laughs> I'm getting through this. You're not as mentally 
on it. So I don't know. We're, we're working on the studying. We do watch some movies. Uh, I watched some uh, AEW wrestling the other <laughs> night, which again I don't have I don't have control of the remote at this point. But that was uh, oh boy, not not your <laughs> usual programming. I think we watched uh, episode <laughs> four and five of Star Tra- uh, Star Wars. Um, and there was like another one where one of the new ones we watched part of. I, I was doing admissions during that, so from what the fifteen minutes I saw, uh, I'm, not, I'm probably not going to watch that. Um. <laughs> you haven't talked talked them into Scott Pilgrim. Well, this isn't like this is like cable TV, oh. so like whatever you can flip to. I think occasionally we watched um, the C- Steve Harvey. Uh, what's the show he does? Um, Family Feud. Yeah, family. We watched a few Family Feuds, where we take guesses. And <laughs> anyway, we we <clears throat> we try to make a good time of it. Um, I will say, like, the, there are opportunities at nights to do things. So the other thing that you can do at night, and this is, it depends on, um, your eagerness for this. So in our facility, you, and it's not always clear to me, but you can place IV lines. You can do arterial um, like an ABG um, you can do a whole lot of different things at night procedures if you want to if you want to tap someone do a paracentesis you could do that um, so if you find the opportunity and it's within the treatment plan for the patient or it makes sense you can go ahead and do a lot of these things uh, so and also you can do as little as you want so if you don't want to do peripheral IVs and you don't want to do ABGs because there are respiratory therapists that can do that and there's nurses that can do all that stuff. Some of the other co-residents I work with very much would like to do a lot of different things. So they will tell the nurses, hey, if a patient pulls out a line or a line blows, let me know. (laughs) And so that way the nurse lets them know, like, oh, I'm going to do a bunch of lines. And so they just go and do lines. Um, So that's a kind of a way to kind of burn some time. It's interesting. Um, I think I don't think I can do arterial lines by myself. Um, I think I have to be signed off or observed. So I'm I'm working I'm I'm working with the, that resident and like every, next time he has an arterial line, that's I'm gonna do it. Um, so and obviously the peripheral lines I'm gonna do. So we're we're working on it. <laughs> um, so thoughts since you had that meeting, uh, I don't know how many weeks ago. Um, about scheduling and what the third years had said about nights being a good first rotation. first rotation for interns. What are your thoughts now after having been there for a little over a week? So my, my initial thoughts are it really depends on your seniors during the week. If you have some very strong seniors third years that are good and ready you know, ready to take you on and show you the ropes and are patient because especially if you're just starting your residency, you have your only experiences, what you got in the third and fourth years, you're not a transition student that came on. I think it can be tough initially because you're, you're learning the electronic medical record system for the first time. You are seeing how the hospital runs and trying to figure out how it runs. <laughs> and then you're also finding how to, where to find things. Because uh, I, I, by now I know where most things are. There's still a few things like the cath lab and the ORs I'm not 100% sure are. Um, but I know where most things are. But like if I was in my first week 
oh, two weeks, I, I would be pretty lost and I, would, I, I definitely would not be very quick on getting anything done. So I think, yes, there's definitely some beauty to starting off on the nights. You don't, you don't have to write a progress note, but you are seeing progress notes and looking over them. You get an idea of what's a good progress note, what's a bad progress note. Um, I feel like, I don't know, it's plus or minus. Because like, if you don't know what to ask, sometimes you can, you can get sign out. And the team that's signing out, the patient's familiar to them. Or maybe they got the sign out from somebody else and so they don't know some of the nuances. So you don't ask certain questions that are going to be important later on in the night. And then you're going to be kicking yourself for that. So if you're brand new and you don't know what you don't know, what you need to be asking, that can be hard as well. Um, I think one of my senior residents this week kind of put, put it this way. It's like sometimes you'll get sign out and it's very quick and like very brief. And it just takes one of those sign outs, one of those very brief sign outs where you know next to nothing about the patient for things to go very badly, the patient to die, and now, or you're, you're consulting the ICU to take this patient, and the ICU is grilling you in the room with the patient who is needing to go upstairs, family members are outside, and the family members are looking and seeing that their doctor doesn't know anything about this patient. Like, it takes one of those times for you to realize, like, you need to get a better sign out. <laughs> and again, I haven't really had that per se, but I get what he's saying. Like I definitely had like sign out something happen and I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going on with this patient. And that definitely is a terrifying feeling. And I was oh I'm kind of always perpetually terrified on a lot of these shifts. Like, <laughs> like I know a good amount of things and I know like, some of the basic, but like if things go real bad, I might need some I need I might need some help. So uh, I don't know if that really answers the question. I think it can be good. I, I don't know if I, I still feel like they might be overselling it just a little bit because then you're, you're also tackling the the um, the fatigue of being up all night. Yeah. Um, anyway, I think we probably should wrap it up. Uh, Karen started this off like we should be quick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was falling asleep on the couch beforehand, and Eric was falling asleep on the couch before dinner, so I was like, eh. We probably should go to bed soon. We're a very interesting group, <laughs> for sure. For sure. It's a it's a party up here in the Acker household. Um, anyway, we will, I guess we will leave it off for that. Um, I, I am basically after today, I'm doing a six week, a six day stretch of nights. Um, I'll get a day off to transition and I'll be up over on three south during the day, day shifts. I do that for two weeks. Somewhere at the sec during the second week, I will take step three, <laughs> and then sometime after that, we'll have Christmas. So it's going to be a crazy next two twenty weeks. days till Christmas. Is it really? Yeah. I, I just don't even look anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's another fun thing about nights. It's like you start the night, and it's like it's the fourth, and then it's like somewhere obviously like after midnight, midnight strikes, and you're like, it's the fifth, and then you're talking to the patients and like. So what brings you in? Like, well, today, oh, yesterday, or, or like, oh, yesterday I did this. And like, was it yesterday, yesterday, or the yesterday, yesterday? Like, mm -hmm. And it becomes very confusing. <laughs> and then like, oh, my day off is Monday, but it's like, it's not really Monday. It's like Monday to Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, so yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. <clears throat> um, 
anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, it's we're getting close to Christmas. Uh, we're trying to tackle a few things. I think I got a little. We got a bike for one of the kids um, with training wheels. Um, got a new couch. We're, we're getting. We're getting. We got the tree up. I got the Christmas decoration. We get the Christmas lights up. I, I yeah. did. I did offer to put more Christmas lights up, and Karen said, no, this is enough. So I guess one long strand of LEDs is enough for now. Um, I don't want you going up on the, like... Oh, I wasn't going to climb on the roof. That's crazy talk. That's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> not happening. <laughs> Pass. Yeah. Well, that and then, too, like, I haven't, I haven't wrapped any of the gifts yet. I have them all. Well... Christmas Eve. <laughs> no. They are wrapped in the the delicate wrapping of Amazon. Um, <laughs> in the Amazon boxes, that's it. No, they are in boxes, and I actually need to to move some of the boxes into our closet because they're in the hallway. But, but we also have to get ready for the baby because, like, early January is when you do. I know. I need to. I need then, to like, order a couple things. Your mom's coming, so we actually probably should have the house in a reasonable shape. <laughs> But when your mom comes, and my mom's gonna come after that, like oh, I haven't talked to her. You have not. Okay. No, so she had surgery, so I was. Oh, well, that makes sense. So yeah, we're figuring this. Like, there's a lot going on. Like, we got to do the Christmas stuff, then we got to we got to do MCAT. We, no, not MCAT. Step Ooh, three. We are not doing step three. <laughs> step no, three. Not doing the MCAT. Christmas, uh, <laughs> baby. Yeah, it's a lot going on. We'll figure it out. And we have three therapy appointments a week. For for yeah. for Xander, yeah. Yeah. It's good times. Anyway, <laughs> we will try to keep these podcasts coming. Um, you guys have a great week. We will see you next week. Follow us on uh, Instagram, MedFamilyMD. Karen is our social media intern. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we try. We're not we're not so great, but we try. <laughs> I might have, I told her, she asked me last week, like, do you want to record? And I was like, yeah, we'll do it tomorrow. And that didn't happen. So I apologize. That was on me. I, I told our, our intern what we were going to do, and I completely didn't do it. So <laughs> <laughs> it, I only say intern because you're not getting paid. Uh, <laughs> and we're not, no one's getting paid for no any of this. Paid. Anyway, you guys have a great rest of your week. We will see you. We will try to get another one out next week. All right. Bye.